So, viruses. Um, okay, so the common cold. You heard about a little bit about it. 102 known variants of the common cold. That's why you keep getting colds. You get a cold, you get over it, your, your immune system now remembers that virus. It has the ability to remember that. And the next time that same exact virus strain shows up, you're not going to get sick. But there's a whole bunch more out there, and they, and they keep changing. And so you're going to get colds for the rest of your life, periodically, because you're going to run into new, new strains of the virus. Your immune system says, what the hell is this? And it takes it a, a week to 10 days to get really geared up and fight it well. And then you get over it. And then you have memory cells, which are going to remember what went on. And then the next time that same virus shows up, uh, you pretty well stop it before it gets started. But then another new cold virus is going to come along, and you're going to get a cold again. Okay, So uh, that's kind of how things work. All right, so we're going to look a little bit at classification of viruses, which is a, a pretty messy thing. We're going to talk about what a virus is, how they replicate. Um, and then a couple of other infectious agents. It doesn't stop with viruses, okay? We, bacteria we know are tiny. Viruses are much tinier than bacteria, and there are yet things smaller than that that are infectious. Fortunately for us, generally not on humans, but we'll, we'll get to those. Okay, so how do we organize information? We kind of talked about this. You got this, some of this last semester. Uh, taxonomy is how we identify and name things. Phylogeny is the evolutionary relationships, and you did something with that in lab uh, already. Uh, and so I'm not going to go back over that right now. Uh, we, we know that we use a two-part Latinized name, binomial nomenclature it's called. So we're homo sapiens. Um, if I remember, if uh, house cats are, I know they're felis. Is the genus genus? I think it's domesticus um, for, for the common house cats. Uh, I always like uh, grizzly bears uh, because grizzly the or for bears the uh, the genus is Ursus. Okay, like you know Ursa major, Ursa minor, the constellations. You know, big bear, little bear. We call it big dipper, little dipper. But okay, so it's Ursa, and grizzly bears are Ursa horribilis, which is a wonderful name for a grizzly bear, especially if you ever see one up close. Uh, so, you know, some people, and, and now, of course, that, that when you discover a new species, the genus name you're stuck with, because they're going to, unless it's a brand new one, you get to decide what the species name is going to be. And so if, there are all kinds of people will use somebody they know, they'll use their name, they'll put a Latinized uh, their name. Um, I had uh, one grad student that I had met, they had a professor. Uh, that they actually hated. He was the worst, you know, thought they was the worst. So they, they, they discovered a really ugly insect and they named it after him, okay? Uh, you know, you get to do stuff like that. Uh, there, are, there are ones that are named after uh, uh, well-known scientists, Newton, Darwin, uh, you know, so you, you get to, to name them when that stuff. Okay, we looked at the three domains. Uh, we've been over that. Uh, let me just skip through this. Okay, here's what I want to get at. So what's a virus? A non-cellular infectious agent. Uh, okay, so what does that really tell us? Um, they're not cells. Remember cells? They got cell membrane, they got cytoplasm and all. Viruses don't have that. Okay, 
Okay, so they're non-cellular. But they're infectious, obviously. We all get to deal with that. Um, they cannot do anything on their own. Okay? Basically, all you have with a virus is a, a protein outer coating, you see here and here, wrapped around, and there would be nucleic acid inside of each of these. It can't reproduce itself, it can't grow by itself, it can't metabolize by itself. The only thing it can do by itself is recognize its host cell. And that's a three-dimensional, like, puzzle piece fitting together. That's the only thing that it can do. Um, okay, so it needs to get inside another living cell in order to replicate, in order to make more viruses. So we call it an obligate intracellular parasite. It must, obligate, get inside of a cell, intracellular parasite. And these characteristics. Okay, so there's some examples or some images over there. The bottom one is not a virus. The bottom one is a tulip. You buy tulips, and the uh, striping that you see, and the you know, the yellow striping you see, and the red is caused by a virus. Now that one we propagate because we, you know, we like the way the flower looks. Okay, so plants have viruses. Okay, fungi have viruses. Bacteria have viruses. Plants have viruses, we have viruses, everybody's got viruses. Okay. Now, uh, usually on the outside of the virus, there's going to be some kind of receptor. Uh, it'll be a sugar protein spike. And what it does is it fits in a three-dimensional match. Remember, go back to 101, proteins, three-dimensional matches between proteins. Enzyme and substrate, remember that? Okay. This is how a virus identifies its host cell. So viruses will wander around wherever they end up being. And if they don't find that match, they can't do anything. They have to find that match. So that means a virus is restricted to certain cells. So a cold, cold the rhinovirus that causes colds, infect cells in the mucous membrane, so the nasal passages and into the, the, the bronchi. That's it. It, it. it doesn't go anywhere else. It can't. It doesn't recognize other cells, other cell types. Its little receptor that it's looking for is not there. So it can get there, but it can't do anything. It can't get inside the cell. Okay. So this li limits generally the range of what we call host range. Um, which has to do with which species it can be in, which cell types it can be in. It's why you only get a cold up here. You never get a cold in your big toe, okay? Because there are no cells down there that it can infect, okay? So that's not going to happen. Generally speaking, remember in the little video, he said, oh, this little tiny line over here, that's a mouse virus. Well, mouse viruses generally, generally viruses don't cross species lines as a rule. That's, they just generally don't do that. They're too specific. To, to do that, okay? Occasionally they do, and then we get a new emerging virus, okay? HIV is thought to have come from, uh, from uh, monkeys, from primates, other primates. Uh, Ebola, we're not sure even where, we don't know where it came from. They're still trying to figure that part out. Uh, you know, where, where did it show up from? Uh, the new, uh, well, 
relatively new, MERS virus, okay? MERS is a Middle East respiratory syndrome, is the name what that is, M-E-R-S. You don't find it in the U.S. Uh, it's mostly in, as you might guess, in the Middle East. Uh, so where does this stuff hang out? Uh, it turns out they're pretty sure now it's, uh, it's in camels and has just, in the last five years, transitioned to being able to infect humans. Something has changed in mutation to be able now to infect humans. Okay. Uh, so, so we have these spikes which are part of the capsid, the protein outer coating. Now they come in a variety of shapes as you can see here. Some are like a helix, a, a spiral, or, and these make kind of rod-like viruses. So these over here are what are called icosahedral. It has to do with the number of sides. It looks, looks like a you know, geodesic dome arrangement. And, and so each of these little pieces here is identical, and then they fit together to form that outer coating of the virus. You see the little spikes there. This one has its spikes down here on the little, see the little lunar lander kind of thing here. Uh, the spikes are down here. This one has spikes that stick out, and that's how they find their host cells. The little spikes. Uh, this one, this is the virus here. It has an outer, what we call a capsule. Okay, this is an encapsulated one. Uh, so normally these viruses up here, uh, we'll get into their uh, infectious pattern in a moment. But when they infect a cell, they reproduce, eventually the, the cell bursts open and out they go, okay? And they look for more cells. Okay. That's what they do. If you're a virus, that's what you do. Okay. Kind of like the, the Geico commercial, you know? So your virus is what you're gonna do. Uh, now, those that have the capsule around it, what they do is they kind of blub out of the, through the cell membrane, and they, as they go, they take part of the cell membrane and wrap it around themselves as an extra outer coating. And that includes then some of the host proteins as well when they, when they do that. Uh, the one that you see down there that's in, uh, encapsulated is, uh, happens to be a her herpes virus. Okay. All right. So these are just some of the shapes that you can have. There are others. Nucleic acid in the middle. So capsid, protein coat, enclosing a nucleic acid. It can be DNA or it can be RNA. There are RNA viruses. There are single-stranded RNA viruses. Remember, RNA is always a single strand, right? Well, okay, we lied. It's not always a single strand, because there are double-stranded RNA viruses. They have two strands of RNA wrapped around each other, sort of like DNA normally is, okay? Uh, you don't find that in, in more higher organisms, you know, more complex organisms. You find it in, in viruses. We have double-stranded DNA, that's the standard, right? Double-stranded DNA wrapped around, double helix thing, that you remember, I hope. There are also single-stranded DNA viruses. What, what, what's up with that? You know, uh, you know, how can there be just a single-stranded DNA? But they are quite, they work just fine that way. So you name the possible combination, basically that you're gonna find it in some virus somewhere. Very, very, uh, very diverse group. Uh, Bacteriophages are simply another name for bacteria or for viruses that infect bacteria. Phage means to eat. They eat bacteria. They kill bacteria. Okay. Uh, there's uh, some active research now 
since we're running into more and more antibiotic resistance to see, is there some way we can use viruses to kill bacteria inside us? That's a bit of a chancy thing to put viruses in somebody in the, in the, in the hopes that they're going to kill the bacteria and not harm the host, you know, the, the individual. Uh, it's really careful about that kind of research. Uh, these are, again, some uh, these are electron microscope uh, images. Uh, these are some viruses that we that we isolated here in our phage lab that we do. Uh, we take them over to William and Mary. They do. They have the electron microscope. Okay, so are viruses alive? Well, if you remember again, back to 101, uh, living things grow and develop. They reproduce. They maintain homeostasis. Viruses don't do any of those things by themselves. They don't do protein synthesis on their own. They can't replicate their DNA. Um, so they really don't do most of the things that living things do. And that's why they don't, you don't find them in any of the domains of the classification system because they don't fit. It's not a lot of consolation when you've got the flu being caused by a virus to say, well, you're not really alive. Okay, big deal. You know, it's still going to cause, cause you the flu, but it's difficult to, to determine how alive they are. Now, do they evolve? Yes. Evolution simply means changes in the genetic material. Changes in genetic material result in changes in proteins. Okay, and yeah, they do. Uh, we get mutations. One of the reasons, uh, I don't know how many of you get flu shots. Uh, I do, uh, well, as you get older, you, they really do recommend it, but I was in the military for 23 years. I got a flu shot every year whether I wanted it or not. It was not an optional activity. Uh, and I just kind of kept up with that. I don't get sick from them, so to me, getting a shot, a vaccination, that's not a big deal. Um, the little spikes that are out there that recognize things, those can change, they can mutate. And now you've got a new strain of the flu virus. Your immune system says, again, new strain of the flu virus, I don't know what this is. A week to 10 days to figure it all out and, and respond. Well, in the meantime, you get the flu. You get sick, okay? So yeah, they do evolve. Uh, sometimes two different viruses can end up in the same cell. And when that happens, you get genetic recombination, just like you between the DNA of the two viruses. And now you could end up with a completely new virus. This is why how we believe that some of the viruses become capable of infecting humans. Flu viruses, again, if you follow the, what we call epidemiology of what's going on, which is the, the study of where do they come from and how do they, how do they develop? The flu viruses start off in, in birds, ducks primarily. Uh, so you can think a duck or a chicken the next time you get the flu because that's generally where they start out. And generally speaking, they do not, cannot infect humans directly. That's, uh, you've heard of bird flu? Anybody know anything about that? Bird flu is a, it's, it's avian flu. Birds get it, humans don't. This is a good thing, but because some humans have gotten it, usually because they are uh, processing infected fowl, and they get it, the fatality rate is 50%. Okay, 
okay? We're very concerned about that particular flu virus. But so far, it has not transitioned to humans. And it's not airborne. You have to actually have your hand in the guts of some, some poor duck or chicken in order to get it. Um, and, and usually you have to have a wound of some kind, an open, you know, that's, that's going to happen. Um, but generally, it's thought to happen for the flu viruses and the new strains that show up each year, which is why you need a new flu shot each year, is that they start off in, in ducks and chickens. And in Asia, which is where most of them seem to arise, people live in very close proximity to their domestic animals. Okay, Often their domestic animals are their wealth. They live right next to them. Sometimes they even are brought into the house at night. Uh, and what happens is these viruses get from the chickens into pigs. Pigs are kept commonly around the world as a form of food. Um, once in the pigs, there's re uh, the pigs now, there are some viruses from humans that can also get into pigs. The two recombine inside the pig, and voila, you get a new virus that can now infect humans. Okay? Um, but it's a, the flu shot's a guessing game. They don't know what strain's going to be here for sure. They follow the, the strains in Asia. And so right now, even though it's flu season here for this past year, they're already looking at what strains are arising in Asia so that they can start the process of making a vaccine for next year. They're going to forecast to the best of their ability which flu virus strains are going to come into North America next year because you can't make the virus in just a few days. It takes months to make. You have to start by March making the virus in order to have enough, or making the vaccine in order to have enough for the next flu season. So that, that's what they do. Okay, um, and then of course there's uh, Ebola. Now this is an older outbreak, it's a, a little news, but um, but you all heard about the large outbreak that occurred this past summer. Uh, you get a From the front lines of battle against one of the world's most dreaded diseases, Ebola, through the deadly outbreak in Africa, experts from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control have rushed in. And ABC's Dr. Richard Besser, a former head of the CDC, is the only journalist with that team in the hot zone. He reports from Uganda tonight. This is about four years ago, so this is a little it's older, but it's the same thing. Into a hot zone, dressed in a hidden protective suit, and traveled with a big team of disease leaders in the CDC, joining a hunt for one of the world's deadliest diseases. Movies such as Contagion have tried to capture the terror of the Kenyan virus. What we found is much more frightening. We make our way to the hospital, where Ebola patients are being treated. We are suited up in even more protective gear. Every part of my body is covered, even a ski mask over my eyes. There's not one step of my body that doesn't get exposed. One careless mistake can be dead. I have to say that there are a few things that I've, I've done in medicine that are as nerve-wracking as, as going into this place. We enter. Those are the three people happy over there. 
the hospital over there. We think a hot, you know, when you think of going to the hospital, you think of a place that's clean and you know and all that. This is a hospital in these places. That's all they have. Okay, uh, the care is pretty minimal uh, you know, that uh, that people are going to get. And you saw the little the, the earlier the kind of huts that people were living in, and the guys coming in all dressed up you know, in there that the white outfit. What would what you know? How do you think people respond to these? Things coming into their village, all dressed in white, and they, if they find somebody is sick, they take them away, isolate them in the hospital. Most of the time, they die and they never come back. This is not a pleasant scenario for them. They, they're not very cooperative usually, uh, or it's difficult for them to be cooperative because that would be like aliens walking in here, taking somebody away and being seen again. You'd be afraid of them. Over there. And then over there. They don't know how this patient got Ebola, but we do know that very close contact with body fluids can spread. Anytime someone touches something, they are quickly sprayed down with disinfectant. That's what was going on this summer over in various countries in Africa. Uh, this was the largest outbreak of Ebola that's ever been documented. Okay? And, it, and yes, it did come back to the U.S. in a, in a few individuals. Uh, fortunately, it was all contained here. because We know how to do that. Okay? Uh, just again, some images from that. Uh, these are some of the viruses that infect humans. Uh, there's not a, uh, there undoubtedly are others that we don't know about yet. Uh, so smallpox, chickenpox, uh, uh, herpes. Uh, herpes and chickenpox are in the same group. Uh, they're related uh, viruses. That's why they're, they're both in the category of you never get rid of them once you have them. Uh, you know, they hide out inside your body. You never really. Uh, it's estimated that at least 80% of the population uh, has been exposed to herpes. Uh, most kids are exposed to by, by their parents, you know, they're, when they're infants. Uh, and for the most part, it doesn't cause a major problem. Okay? Uh, it's pretty common. It hides out in, in some nerve cells near the spinal cord. The central nervous system is pretty much off limits to most of your immune system. It, the central nervous system kind of runs its own little immune thing in there. Uh, it doesn't let much uh, cross the blood-brain barrier. And so they hide out there, and then they come out later. 
uh, or they may. We don't understand why they do that uh, and show up again, like uh, with uh, chickenpox. Okay, so now you see the ads on TV about getting uh, getting shingles, right? Uh, so if you had chickenpox, which of course when I was a kid there were no vaccines, we just got all those, you know, measles, chickenpox, the two kinds of measles, mumps, we, we got them all, and most of us survived them. Uh, so, you know, they're there. But if you had the vaccine for chickenpox, you, you do have the virus, the chickenpox virus, because that's part of what's in the vaccine. And so, you know, that's why they're concerned about shingles. Uh, Epstein Barr, uh, anybody here had mono? Okay, a few. That's Epstein Barr virus, is what causes that. Uh, papillomavirus, we all hear about these days. Uh, cervical, it's a connection to cervical cancer, and now we're vaccinating kids uh, before they become sexually active, which means around 12 or 13, they're recommending that, that uh, girls and boys both be vaccinated. And it's a series, I think it's either two or three shots uh, for that. Um, Hepatitis, there's hepatitis B, but there's also down below an RNA viruses are hepatitis A and C. Uh, obviously there's HIV, the coronavirus that caused SARS. SARS is a relative of MERS, they're similar. SARS showed up about, well, about 12 years ago. Uh, came from Hong Kong uh, into Canada. Uh, nobody knew what it was. People were getting sick, sudden acute respiratory syndrome. People were getting sick and dying and nobody knew what was causing it. Uh, that's, the, that's one of those things that scares the medical profession. You know, people just get sick and die, and nobody don't know well, we don't know why. Because uh, usually when, when somebody gets sick or somebody dies, we have a reason why it happened, okay? Uh, they, they didn't know. Uh, they did figure it out, okay, finally. Uh, polio, don't see polio much anymore. Polio, at least in the United States, you don't see it much anymore. Uh, it is not been gotten rid of. It's still endemic in parts of Pakistan, India, and, and uh, Afghanistan. Uh, in fact, just the other day, there was a thing on the news where from fundamental groups in Pakistan uh, went into a village where there were health workers doing polio vaccinations and killed them all because they said, no, they're not really helping us. What you're doing is sterilizing our children so that, so that uh, you know, our, our whole culture will disappear. Well, how do you fight that? You know, you know, it's just one of those things you can deal with. Uh, the flu, measles, mumps, rabies, Ebola, okay. All typical viruses. Uh, West Nile, which is endemic here. Rotavirus. Uh, this is what measles looks like. None of you probably, anybody here have measles? Probably not. Okay. Uh, West Nile is relatively new. Uh, it's been about 10 years ago that it first showed up in the United States. Uh, in New York. Now it's spread across the whole country. Not bill pay believers are used by more households than any other leading brand. Between their aches and pains, more people reach for Advil. Relief doesn't get any better than this. A major red flag from the Centers for Disease Control, a widespread nationwide outbreak of West Nile virus, almost 700 cases detected across the country thus far, including at least 26 deaths. Now, ABC's Dr. Richard Besser spent years working on deadly diseases with the CDC and joins us now to discuss what we're talking about here and what this seems like 
an awfully widespread outbreak. Why so many cases is it? I mean, it is widespread. This is the worst year ever for West Nile virus. You know, they have 700 confirmed cases. But from that, we can estimate that as many as 12,000 people have already been sickened by West Nile virus. It's in 43 states. Half of the cases are, are in Texas. And the reason they think that it's so bad this year is that, remember last winter, there was very little snow. It wasn't very cold. You, you count on that cold to kill mosquitoes, and that didn't happen. And so mosquitoes this year are really abundant. So you're talking about 12,000 people exposed at some point. What sort of, uh, what kinds of people are hardest hit here? Well, I mean, it's a little unusual. The people who tend to get this worst are people who are 50 and older, who are healthy, active, spending a lot of time outside. The young seem to handle this very well. 80% of people who get infected with the virus, absolutely no symptoms. Their body gets rid of it, and they didn't even know they had it. 20% are going to have flu-like illness. So fever, aches, feel nauseous. If you're in an area that has West Nile virus, that may be what's going on. What you worry about is the 1 in 150 who have neurologic symptoms, they have brain swelling, those are the people who are very concerned. Quickly, in terms of precautionary measures people can take, what can people do? Well, you can't treat it, so you have to prevent it. Fight the fight. You don't want to go out dawn and dusk when mosquitoes are active. Use, use repellent, cover up during those periods, and get rid of any standing water that would attract mosquitoes. That will all help. You might just be aware. Rich, thanks for that. Yes. Uh this is a special report from ABC News Okay, mosquito-borne uh, virus uh, diseases are common, uh, and they're difficult to treat. Uh, in that respect, of course, we do that here. We we uh, do some mosquito control here. We're in an area with lots of water, lots of mosquitoes, as you probably all know, uh, and. Uh, they handle it about as best they can. The downside is we have to be careful about uh, insecticides because they don't kill just mosquitoes. They kill lots of other things. And so, you know, there's, there's you know, it's kind of a fine line there. Uh, but uh, this started in New York about 12 years ago. It was unknown. Nobody knew what it was at first. It took them uh, several months to figure out exactly what it was. West Nile comes from Africa. Uh, nobody knows how it got into New York. And since that time, it has spread throughout the United States. It, it is endemic here in Virginia. Uh, we don't get, seem to get very many cases here. I'm not really sure why. Its reservoir is birds. Birds are, are, are the carriers of this virus. Mosquito bites a bird, mosquito bites you, and it can transmit the, you know, the, uh, the virus. Uh, mosquitoes aren't real picky. Uh, they just want some warm, they just want blood from your warm blood and curtain. In fact, some mosquitoes will take blood from anything. Reptiles are fine. They're not, not all that picky about that. Okay. So what happens when a virus uh, enters a cell? Okay, so if you're going to be a successful virus, okay, first thing you got to do is attach to your host cell. Or you got to find your host cell, and then you have to attach to the outside by means of your little receptors. So that's number one. It must attach. Now, once it does that, it will in some way get its DNA or its nucleic acid inside the new cell. Some actually kind of inject it through the membrane. Others induce the cell to swallow them in, now, like, like phagocytosis. And once inside, uh, they, um, they open up, their viral DNA comes out. They use some of that to make proteins, which are their outer coating. They replicate their uh, DNA or RNA. 
for genetic material for the next generation. They assemble the outside coat, they pack it full of uh, DNA, and then they have to leave, they have to re be released from that cell, otherwise, obviously, they're not going to be successful. Uh, this is a typical uh, viral infection pattern. This is referred to as a lytic infection because ultimately the cell lyses, breaks open, and dies. Uh, some do it all at once. Others, they kind of come out a little bit at a time, but eventually the cell's going to die. Uh, one, any cell, once it has the virus in it, it's pretty much doomed. It, it, it's not, there's no mechanism in the body to, to save that cell. In fact, the body may kill that cell. Okay, we have immune cells that will go find infected cells and kill them to stop the replication from going farther in those cells. Okay, that's, so, this is, so this is a lytic infection. Now, there are two possible pathways for some viruses. These are mostly known in bacteria, but here's one. So here's one that's infected a host cell, releases its DNA, and this is the lytic pathway. It makes new proteins, it makes new DNA, it packs the DNA into the heads, breaks out, cell dies, these infect more cells. This is the lytic pathway. But sometimes when you look at where this is happening on an auger plate where you've got bacteria growing, Usually what you see are little clear areas where the virus is killing all the bacteria. Okay? But sometimes they're not clear. Sometimes they're cloudy. And that's caused by the fact that they don't actually, in some cases, they don't kill all of the bacteria right now. They will eventually, but they don't do it now. And what they do instead is the DNA release becomes part of the bacterial chromosome. And now, Every time the bacteria reproduces, the viral DNA is replicated right along with the rest of the chromosome. And this may go for a number of generations until every new bacterium that has come from that original one will be carrying the virus viral DNA. Okay? Now, what's the advantage to the virus besides the fact that it doesn't die right now? Well, it turns out that once this gets in there and, and, and interacts with the chromosome, this bacterium is now immune to infection by, the, by any other viruses of the same type. Okay. The virus being in its DNA makes a protein that prevents any new viruses from being able, any new viruses of the same kind from infecting that cell. And then they go off to get lots of new cells, and at some point, the DNA will come out of the chromosome and go into the lytic pathway. So the reason the, the area where the infection is going on looks kind of hazy is because there are still some bacterial cells living there. And this is called a lysogenic pathway. So these viruses will follow one or the other. Now, the lytic pathway is what you see probably 95% of the time. The other one is much more rare, but it does occur. Now, it turns out that uh, there are a number of bacteria. This is called a lysogenic conversion. All right, what does that mean? Lysogenic infection means what? What happens? What does the DNA from the virus do? It becomes part of the chromosome, right? 
Now, it turns out that in some cases, the virus in certain bacteria makes them more virulent, makes the disease worse than it would be otherwise. And with cholera, diphtheria, some kinds of dysentery, strep pyogenes, which uh, can cause scarlet fever, causes strep throat normally, uh, can go on to cause scarlet fever if not treated immediately. Uh, part of some of these strains of bacteria are more virulent than others, and in part it's because they're carrying a bit of viral DNA, which makes them that way. Right. So these are, again, most of these uh, diphtheria uh, you don't see much anymore because everybody's vaccinated for that. Cholera we don't see because it's uh, sanitation is pretty good here. You, if you go to third world countries, cholera still exists. Uh, Shigella dysentery, it's really nasty. It's basically a food poisoning thing. Shigella is really bad because it's uh, the toxin that, that it makes is pretty nasty stuff. And strep myogenes, you probably, as anybody in here who never had had uh, strep throat. Okay, so a few of you. Most of you had, had that guy in you. And actually, we all have it all the time. Most of the time, it just doesn't cause a problem. Uh, you'd be amazed at the number of pathogenic bacteria that are part of your normal flora. They're just not doing anything. Now, okay. uh, the, the, the one that is the primary cause of meningitis. Uh, probably 25% of the population has that bacterium living in their throat. And they're quite happy there, and they don't do anything. Occasionally, though, they penetrate through the lining of the throat and they start a meningitis infection, and we don't really entirely understand all the reasons why they do that. Okay. So uh, everybody, probably everybody in here has Staph aureus on you, or I mean, that's a common uh, organism for us. All right, now, there are a couple of different types of viral infections. So, first of all, are chronic or persistent. This means they don't go away. I mean, you never really get rid of them. Hepatitis B and C are like that. They're, hepatitis C is particularly dangerous because it can lead to liver cancer. Uh, doesn't always, but it can. Uh, herpes, uh, while you may not have an active infection, you always have the herpes virus. Uh, the chicken, you know, and chicken pox would be the same. Uh, HIV, of course, we have no, we, we are unable to get rid of yet, uh, at least not by ourselves. Well, not at all so far. Um, and uh, this is, uh, it's called a chronic latency. This is, this is chicken pox here. I don't know why they distinguish those particular two, because uh, this is really not much different than herpes. It's really not really much the same. And then these are viruses that can lead to cancer. Onco oncogenic means oncology is uh, in, in a hospital is cancer ward. Uh, and, and so oncogenic viruses are viruses that have been linked to causing cancer in some individuals. Okay? And so uh, HPV, that's why we're, you know, that's why women get pap smears and why, you know, most, most of, uh, of you have been uh, certainly exposed to the, this virus. It's a very common virus. Hepatitis C and then Epstein-Barr can also be a problem. Okay. Um, a couple of variations here, just mentioned. Reverse transcription. OK. 
Okay, so what's transcription? Remember back to protein synthesis. What is transcription? You're making RNA from DNA, usually messenger RNA, but it could be another RNA too. Yeah, exactly. So reverse transcription would be making DNA from RNA. Now, we can't do that. We don't know how our bodies don't do that. We don't have that option. But there are a number of viruses that do. They carry their genetic material as RNA. First thing they do when they get inside their host is convert that RNA back to DNA. And then they make RNA genetic material. Uh, and, and they have a, a, this, an enzyme called reverse transcriptase. Okay? That does exactly that. It takes RNA and makes DNA from it. Okay? Um, we have involved viruses. I mentioned those before. Uh, as they come out of a cell, they wrap some of the cell membrane around them. becomes part of the, the thing. Now, what's interesting is, and this is counterintuitive, how long do viruses last out there on their own? Well, it really depends. It turns out that encapsulated viruses that have the extra layer around them don't last very long. HIV's life's ability to be infective out, once it's out in the open in the environment is minutes. And then it's no longer able to do anything. Okay, encapsulated viruses are, are more prone to that. Naked viruses, which is what we call viruses without the capsule around them, tend to be very hardy. And we know that some of them can be 10, 15, 20 years at least, maybe longer. So, uh, so involved viruses usually need to be transferred directly from host to host, which is why Ebola, uh, Ebola require well, Ebola actually is fairly hardy, but generally it's transmitted only by, by body fluids. And this is just a, an example of that. Uh, we won't go. So basically, this is an RNA virus. It's viral RNA uh, comes out. They make DNA from it. They use the DNA to make new, uh, to make the proteins they need, and also so go on to the infection. All right. I said there are some things smaller than viruses. I got a couple minutes here. Uh, first, are viroids. These are simply little strands, circular strands of RNA, naked RNA. Just there it is. Uh, they interfere with gene regulation, and these are relatively common in plants. You do not find them in animals that I'm aware of. Uh, they generally uh, infect plants. Okay? So these are just little pieces of RNA that can actually affect the ability of the plant to regulate its genetic material, and that causes a disease in the plant. And then there's prions. Uh, these are proteins. Now, we all have prion proteins. It's a normal protein that's found in neural cells. Everybody has it. We don't even don't know exactly what its function is, but we know we all have this protein. However, there are two forms of the protein. There's the normal form, which is every, you know, everybody's quite happy with. And then there's this exact same protein but instead of folding into the normal shape, it folds into an abnormal shape. 
And whenever that abnormally shaped protein comes into contact with a normally shaped protein, it converts it into the abnormal shape, which is non-functional. And this is how a protein can be infectious. Okay? This is what causes uh, mad cow disease. It also causes, uh, uh, yeah, it's the spongiform encephalopathies. You get them in cows, you get them in humans. Uh, there's Creutzfeldt uh, Jakob disease is a human form of this, which has been known for a long time. Uh, Kuru is another version of it. This was, this was the initial discovery of this. Kuru was a disease of uh, the 4A people in New Guinea. Uh, it was uh, had to do, uh, basically, they would gradually lose motor coordination, and then they wouldn't be able to walk, and then they couldn't feed themselves, and eventually they would die. It's a neural degeneration. Uh, it turned out, in that case, it was documented that it was transmitted. The only way you can transmit a prion is you have to ingest it. And they, there it was being transmitted by cannibalism. Uh, the, you know, we, we don't think much of eating our relatives, right? It's not kind of high on the, the list. But, but in some cultures, now remember, not all cultures view the world the same way we do. Many cultures look at individuals as having personal power. And in your tribe, when somebody dies, you want to retain their personal power within your group. And what this in this group, the way they did that, they honored their dead by cooking and eating them. When somebody died, they cooked them and they ate them. And that spread the, the disease. They don't do that anymore, apparently, but that's how it spread. So these misfolded proteins accumulate in the brain. You get these openings, spaces in the brain, looks like a sponge, henceforth, it's called spongiform encephalopathy because the brain looks spongy and it carries. Um, so Kuru and Kreutzfeldt Jakob, there's another disease in, in sheep, and then of course there's bad cow disease. That's what it looks like in sheep. Uh, these are the, in New Guinea, this, is, this was in the 1940s that uh, an American researcher figured this out, won a Nobel Prize for figuring it out. Bad cow disease or bovine spongiform encephalopathy. And so this is what the brain looks like. Normal brain should look like this. CJD, Kuru, Scrapey, this is what, what happens to the brain. And here's a, another example. Uh, this was first identified in the 1920s. You can see there's, there's been a little bit of increase, but not very much. And then these are the two cryptids. Uh, so, infectious things. Okay, we've talked about bacteria, we've talked about viruses, and then we have viroids and then prions. Okay, on Monday I have a case study we're going to work on that helps to reinforce uh, bacterial cell structures. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. All right. So, enjoy the weekend.